The following content is meant purely for educational and informational purposes and should not be relied upon as financial, investment, legal, tax, or any other professional advice. This is the Fundamentals Podcast, where we demystify crypto and help you navigate this ever-evolving internet native economy. In this episode, we're joined by Getty Hill, the co-founder of GFX Labs, a multifaceted blockchain research and development company. GFX Labs operates as a crypto product studio and an active DAO governance contributor. On the product side, GFX has built a variety of products, including Interest Protocol, Web3 Sheets, and most recently, the advanced DeFi trading platform Oku Trade that is powered by Uniswap v3. On the governance side of things, which GFX is most well known for, they have an active role in the governance of, for example, MakerDAO, Optimism, Uniswap, ZeroX, and Arbitrum. In this episode with Getty, we speak about how GFX operates, the current state of DAO governance, and what an ideal DAO could look like. We discuss the details around Uniswap's fee switch and GFX's stance on it. Also, we discuss the on-chain borrow lend market sector, the biggest opportunities and challenges in that space, and much more. Um, I've come across a few times that you've said that you are a self-proclaimed Uniswap maximalist. Uh, now that Uniswap X is out, what were your kind of first impressions on that? Yeah, I think it's a very interesting problem set when you compare the position that Labs is in relative to one inch and Matcha and CowSwap and the others. I think folks kind of rightfully pointed out across Twitter that some of the concepts introduced weren't necessarily like revolutionary. That being said, I'm quite looking forward to the cross-chain aspect of it. Um, that's the one thing that kind of isn't being done by anyone right now. And the notion that, oh, like the bridging experience for retail users is quite poor. Like the, there's, a, there's a high fixed cost there to bridging from one chain to another. And the idea that we can kind of simplify this for retail users and say, oh, like it's a swap when I go from like USDC on mainnet to USDC and optimism opposed to like a bridge and I can like drive transactions cost down and say, okay, bridging becomes more of an institutional kind of like high net worth thing where like you can spread out those fixed costs amongst uh, more dollars. So I think that's the bit I'm most looking forward to. The rest of it is like, okay, if you look at it from like Uniswap Labs point of view, they needed to integrate something to remain competitive and they weren't going to like integrate zero X, right? Like they they had to come up with their own solution. So I feel like I try to be pragmatic about these things, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, we'll, we'll be integrating in our interface as well. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a good way to think of it. It and definitely competition is intensifying all across DeFi. So it's great to see that even the biggest players who have like high market dominance in their respective market sectors really have to start innovating and kind of keeping up with the pace of things. Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, it's good for users, right? Like where Uniswap views dollar organizations as competitive to them, like they're going to innovate on the product and it's going to cause CalSwap to innovate even further and whatnot. And like at the end of the day, like that's what we want. Like we want competition. Yep, we do. We do. Definitely. And there's lots to come. But yeah, hey, Getty, welcome to the Fundamentals podcast. It is great to have you on. I'm really looking forward to diving into GFX Labs, everything you guys are working on, the important contributions, your activity around protocol governance as well. So it's going to be a fun session. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You're going to notice that I like to ramble about DeFi and particularly protocol governance and on-chain governance. And as you mentioned before, yeah, a bit like self-proclaimed Uniswap Maxi and certainly on-chain governance Maxi. So looking forward to this. Thanks. I think on-chain governance is a topic that uh, gets a lot of people's blood pressures to spike. Uh, pretty high so i mean you can kind of give us the <laughs> i don't know if you're going to give us the counter argument but maybe at least some clarity to what it's all about but before before we dive into everything about governance could you maybe give a quick introduction to gfx labs for anyone not yet familiar yeah absolutely so gfx is um, quite unique in the sense that we split our time amongst building uh, and developing software for other crypto companies and other like protocols and foundations in the space and then whatever time we kind of left over from there then we get to reinvest back into our like our own products and 
whatnot. And so we've built a few things in this space, like Web3 Sheets. We've built something else called Interest Protocol. And then most recently, we came out with Oku, which is a nice blend of like the two where the Uniswap Foundation gave us a nice grant to go and build a whole new interface for Uniswap V3. And now it's going to become a core project at GFX Labs moving forward. So it's kind of a, a blend over here. And that being said, I think most folks in the space do know us for our governance work. So where you've been one of the more prominent delegates at Uniswap, historically MakerDAO, Compound, Optimism, and doing a bit of stuff over at Arbitrum now. So that's that's probably what most folks know us for, but we're hopeful that the software side becomes more and more popular. <laughs> yeah, got it. Yeah, and congrats on launching OkuTrade. That seemed super exciting. Yeah, thank you very much. As you are a bit like spread out within the DeFi sector, I wanted to ask that, how, how would you kind of define the problem that GFX Labs solves? Listen, are you kind of just scouting the whole DeFi market and finding the problems that you want to solve at any specific point in time and then build a project around that? Or how do you think of it? I don't know if I would quite call it scouting. So my background and my co-founder's background is in prop trading for a Chicago firm. We did that for three years and we got the beauty of doing crypto stuff with them. And so we went on this really like natural like spectrum of progression in the space, really went from being like dominant users of DeFi platforms in really big ways. And then kind of the tail end of our time at the trading firm, I got really into protocol governance at Compound and really understood what it meant to like govern and control these platforms. And Work with a lot of the other folks in the ecosystem and then over time we're like oh okay like we understand the problems and like as deep users and as governors in the space how can we like solve these things and so the repeat thing at gfx labs is well we see something that like we want to exist and then we go try to convince other people to go build it for us and then they don't build it for us so then we just go do it ourselves and that's like essentially the impetus for every single governance proposal we've ever done for every single like product we've ever developed over here like that is like the whole thing uh, with us is like we're true lovers of DeFi, we want to see DeFi really displace or at least significantly improve traditional finance for everyone. And our only way of trying to actually make that happen is just by doing the work. I love that proper get shit done attitude. You know, you have a lot of people who are willing to just tweet out and complain about things, but you see a problem, you actually build a solution to it. It's my number one pet peeve when folks go and say like, oh, like such and such should be done you know, like this. And then what a bad solution. Like if you're going to criticize something, you have to prevent a, a solution to it. Even if it's not a great one, you need to prevent a solution to it and if you don't then it's like okay well thanks <laughs> definitely and how about how are you guys funding operations is it project by project uh grant-based type of funding or what's the deal there kind of it's it's a bit of a blend so when we started the company back in like the summer of 21 we did raise like two and a half million and kind of like a seed angel round from a bunch of the folks at the trading firm that we left behind and other folks in the industry and then over time we've done some other stuff so like with with interest protocol like we built and launched the entirety of the protocol from scratch and we did a bit of a token sale related to that but like after the protocol was live and functioning, which was quite unique. And then from there, we've done a lot of software development work for other folks. So we have everything from like working with core companies in the space. Uh, we're doing some work with the Aragon folks, which is like really fun on the core developer side of things. And then we do a lot of like just, hey, if someone calls up and says, hey, we have a whole Solidity project and we just want a front end. Can you help us with the front end? And we'll do that too. And then we have bigger things like the Uniswap Foundation. So the Uniswap Foundation gave us a $1.6 million grant to develop Oku. That was August of last year in September of last year, that's really been a huge focus of the team. So we're 17 people, so not huge, but we're not necessarily super small either. And Oku has been 10, 12 people nonstop for the last 10 months working on that. And it's just a huge lift on 
interface side and on the backend side, developing the first ever robust Uniswap API. It's just been a ton of work, but a lot of fun and you know, great to do it with folks at the Uniswap Foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it always the same team that builds the different projects that you start? or More or less. Like in the grand scheme of things, where I was like, a lot of folks will comment from the outside, like, hey, it looks like you're doing like a lot of things. And it's, it's true. We definitely do a lot of things, perhaps too many things as people like to comment occasionally. But for the most part, internally at the organization, there's really only ever like one or two core focuses at a time. And then it's more about kind of like maintaining the stuff we've done in the past. And from there, it's like, okay, we have like three core front engineers. We have like four core backend engineers and there's my co-founder. And then we have, you know, design and legal and you know other things. So you kind of just float the resources wherever they're needed. And for the most part with software is like, once you build it and run it, like you've done that part. <laughs> so you don't need to necessarily keep iterating on the thing you just launched immediately. Exactly. And, and I guess that final question on GFX would be like in, in the long term, how I'm hearing from this, probably like the value capture for GFX Labs would be that as you spin out these projects, you maintain a certain level of... Well, they're not really ever spun out. They're, they're always within the organization. Like we don't, we don't really think they'll ever go outside the organization. I think at some point, and particularly with like Oku, like I think a lot of the work we've done and a lot of things in the past will begin to like solidify in that single interface. So right now it's just Uniswap V3 in there and we won't ever support any other decks in there, but Barlen could be in there. We could also have an on-off ramp in there. We could probably have some interesting wallet solutions. So like, I think in that in my mind, it's like if, if we can, we can probably consolidate a lot of the other work we've done and a lot of the other expertise that we have in the, in the company into like that single application while still kind of maintaining the core software development business on the side that funds everything without house having to like go to venture every single time okay yeah yeah exactly that's kind of what i was going for there the where the sustainable business model comes from but it's a software development and kind of ramping up that side of things. exactly that's that's what pays the bills like we i mean the last year we probably spend like 60 or 70 percent of our time doing that that sort of work which is nice i mean in this environment like having that has been a lifesaver for us without it it would have been a very we would have been fine but it would have been a very very like precarious position for an extended period of time yeah yeah i, I can imagine uh, software development pays the bills and then as you mentioned at the beginning what you're probably most known for is actually your contributions in DAO governance so let's go to speak about that but before we get into the very practicalities of your approach and how you contribute i, I would love if you can give us maybe just a general primer on DAO governance the state of it right now the different types and how, however you want to go through it at a very high level you can really think of on-chain governance in the view of individuals who are participants in the protocol via via token ownership or just that token ownership delegating those votes to someone else like us coming in and participating in the decision making of whatever that that DAO governs so in the case of you know barlen protocols like a compound or an ave or maker DAO, you're governing the underlying parameters of perhaps like collateral factors interest rate curves or what we should do with the treasury in the context of like uniswap we have the 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 fee switch fee tiers uh, and of course the treasury over there i think it kind of goes on from there and then on the other side of things you have like some DAOs that are capital base that are allocating it to other projects and whatnot and then you have like kind of the off the off-chain folks so i would say like the vast majority of DAOs in the space are ones that are run by snapshot governance or multi-sig governance which is good for early stage projects as they're getting off the ground and they want to maintain some semblance of control without necessarily going to the the, the full side of full decentralization that like a MakerDAO or Compound or Aave does. But those are kind of the three categories I'd put them in. And looking at the market today, which DAOs would you say are doing the best 
job or are like best structured in terms of efficient governance? Yeah, I would say we, we still have a ways to go for, for everyone. We've certainly come a long ways in the last two years. That's with also without a doubt. But in the grand scheme of things, like you have to step away every once in a while and be like, okay, like Compound was essentially like the first major DAO after MakerDAO. MakerDAO came like years before and that was 2020. So like, it, we're, we're still like super nascent. Like the, the concept of DAOs is just incredibly nascent still. MakerDAO is by far like the most developed. They have tried the most, not like the highest number of iterations of different ways to govern. They've tried experimenting with lots of different ways of compensating delegates, uh, lots of different org structures, like coming from a traditional foundation and pivoting into having core units. And now they're going into their end game plan. So they're certainly the furthest along from everyone. Abe has done a lot of great work over the last year and a half at really maturing quite significantly. And I think Uniswap now has kind of taken almost more of a traditional approach with, okay, we have, of course, the core delegates in the protocol, but spinning up the foundation last summer has has been a nice help in actually organizing the DAO a bit further. So there's a few different ways about it, but I would say MakerDAO is still the, the steady lead that they have over there just by the nature of being around a couple of years before everyone else. Yeah, I think that was a really good scan of the market and the current state of it. So lots of lots of big steps have been taken. I think especially Maker's Endgame update is a pretty massive revamp. It's pretty cool to see. It'll be interesting to follow how that plays out. But given the state of the market and how it has developed, you've been around for a while. Can you walk me through your approach to governance? So how you in practice contribute and what your day-to-day -day work there looks like? Yeah, and it kind of comes back to that whole mantra of like how we do things at GFX and why we do them in that it's always been about improving DeFi. So like we really don't do much stuff outside of DeFi, particularly Barland is like my bread and butter. Like we could go in depth on any of the Barland protocols and we could riff on that for a long time. But really what it comes down to is we see something that a DAO should be doing. We try to get other folks to do it for us first. <laughs> and then when they don't, then we just go do it ourselves. And that's really been the repetition. So like the very first proposal I ever made was a proposal at compound to increase the wrap bitcoin collateral factor to like a more a more sensible number and it was like an easy thing everyone agreed it should happen it was just a matter of someone like actually doing the work to put it together convincing some folks to like move their votes around to delegate and support it and that's how everything begun and then over time it was just like that little one turned into another one which turned into another one and it gets a bit easier as you meet more folks and the whole process in which how we've interacted with governance has always been about either us coming forth with ideas or the same way that it's kind of complicated for folks we try to be very flexible with people and say hey if you have something you want to do at the DAO but you don't have the votes uh, necessarily to do it or you don't know like you don't know the right people like call us up if we think it's a good idea like, we're more than happy to sponsor it and connect it with all the right people and like get it through because we we want to make sure that, that yeah these processes aren't great right now but whatever we can do to kind of like grease the wheel there and make it flow a bit more naturally we, we want to support got it and what's the state of like your voting power in these protocols themselves uh, how, how much have you managed to kind of capture people delegating tokens to you i would i definitely wouldn't use the word capture because like folks can always delegate to us whenever they want and they can always remove those delegations whatever they want and in some instances like we're very close with the folks who delegate to us and in some instances we have no idea who they are like at optimism like we have some crazy number of individuals uh, individuals delegating to us, but we do not know the vast majority of them. But we also do work with some funds in this space and they'll say, hey, we invested in such and such project. We don't really have the time or their expertise to really deal with confidence that we can manage this delegation. We'll take that on with for them and say, hey, like we're never going to vote the way in which you tell us to, but chances are that we're aligned in our interests and that we'll end up voting in what we think is the best interest for the DAO, which is also should be your interest. And we'll develop like, nice relationships with them. So I think that's how a lot of these have, have gone. They've certainly like 
ebbed and float. I mean, we have something like just shy of two and a half million votes at Uniswap. I think we're like the fourth largest voter at Optimism right now. MakerDAO governance is Anon now, so we can't talk about that, unfortunately, due to the new rule set. But at one point in time, we were like the second largest or third largest like um, delegate at MakerDAO. So we've done we've done quite a quite a few things, but at the same time, we also kind of unlike some other organizations, really try to stay focused. Like we really only participate at kind of three DAOs at a time, maybe four, because wherever in which we are delegates, we really want to make sure that we're not just voting on stuff. Like we want to be bringing about change. We want to be the ones proposing the most interesting, most productive proposals. And how would you describe kind of the activity and maybe sophistication level of governance in DAOs right now? Because what you're doing is a very, I would say, advanced approach given the state of the market. And you've been around for a while and you've Main, you've been able to reach a position where you are in like the top five largest voters in some of the biggest protocols within DeFi. So when you post on these forums and when you go through these proposals and listen to all the kind of counter arguments, do you feel that there is enough contributors with the same level of advancement or seriousness that, that you are in the space or is it still a bit too quiet? You no, know, it, it's it's still a bit too quiet, but I, I want to emphasize that like where we've come from two years ago to where we are today is a tremendous improvement. Uh, we're certainly seeing other organizations like GFX Labs coming in increasing numbers and approaching it with a more professionalized view. We're also seeing DAOs treat their delegates in a more professionalized way. I mean, MakerDAO really is the only DAO that has paid their delegates in like an appropriate size. We've seen others kind of begin to, to test with it. Aubrey's running a test program right now. And I think that will begin to change things. So it's, it's going a bit in hand in hand that we're seeing some more professional delegates join in. Because for us, like the reason why we were kind of so early to it was mostly just a labor of love. Like we just enjoyed contributing to these DAOs. It was fun without a doubt, like it kind of helped us win some more software work as we were able to say, hey, we did X, Y, and Z thing at DAO that lend us some credibility. But in the grand scheme of things, like it was definitely a money loser for us that we just kind of did because it was enjoyable and fun to contribute to these massive open source projects. I mean, in what other industry can you know a 20-something year old come post on, the, on, on, a, on a website, convince some people to change some things, and next thing you know, you're influencing like a few billion dollars in capital. Like, and in the, you know, in the context of Uniswap, like we are the ones who championed the one-bit proposal over there for the fee tier. And that was a huge change to how volumes and how stable coins were traded on chain. And it was just a forum post at one point in time. Like, it's just just the thing. Like, you can't do that in an industry. It, it, of course, it's fun to do. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. That level of power is, uh, like you said, hard to achieve any, anywhere else. But well, it's, and it's not even power. It's just that that really speaks to like what the whole idea of a DAO is, right? Like people don't need to trust or know who I am, they can read the forum post and they go, huh, maybe this is a good idea. And it can go up for a vote. They don't have to like, no one controls what goes up for a vote. As long as you have the votes, you can put up a vote and if people vote on it, then it immediately goes into production. Like that, that to me is also why we emphasize so much on why on-chain governance is important. We want like, if you have to talk to a person, you have to, I'm not saying you shouldn't, you should, you should try, but if you have to talk with a person about what you're trying to propose to a DAO, you're muddying the whole process and what it means. Because like, it should be that something on pure merit can succeed without having to talk to anyone to have, without having to get any buy-in. That to me is like the ideal outcome, which actually in many ways is kind of what MakerDAO is trying to do now in Endgame is saying like, hey, by making the delegates anonymous, by removing a lot of their like necessary pedigree, like can we solve some of that and make it more merit-based? Yeah, and I think what you laid out there really kind of crystallizes the core ethos of crypto as well, that it really doesn't matter 
matter. It just the stuff that you post on the forum that should be enough. It doesn't matter who it's coming from. If it's if it's good, it's good. You vote for it. If it's not, you vote against it, and you have an objective discussion around the facts. Exactly. I want to play a little bit with the idea of what an ideal DAO would look like uh, from your perspective, given the pace at which the space is developing. So I- I'm sure that you have ideas on what you would like to see and where the biggest bottlenecks are. So maybe starting from what you see as the biggest insufficiencies or bottlenecks in current models my general view on on these things is that we shouldn't try to reinvent the wheel and like corporate governance has been i don't want to say a solved thing because they certainly have their own problems in the traditional world but they've certainly been after this for more than three years <laughs> so they have a bit more experience with us and in my mind it's like okay like i don't want to have like necessarily like an executive team and a single decision maker at the top of a company and whatnot but i do think in ways in which they have a regular cadence of reporting and a regular way in which they transmit information between the different organizations and how they delegate tasks make a, make a lot of sense. That sense of how you build an organization at the base level and the way in which you communicate and how comms work, I think is really important. And particularly for like DAOs, improvement on comms would be like a meaningful progression because in many cases, if you're want to, you know, if you say, hey, I'm I'm a Uniswap user and I want to come and contribute to Uniswap, it's not an easy process to figure out like what that means, how that works, where you should go to, who do you talk to? Like some of these really just basic questions haven't really been answered yet. And there's folks at the Uniswap Foundation, there's folks like us in this space, there's other people in the community who are trying to do things to kind of improve that. And of course, other DAOs as well. But I think that's a bit of a global problem right now where we first need to kind of solve those base level comms that will go a really long way. And then from there, really making sure we stick to on-chain governance. I think like this is the weird bit where it's like, you want to make sure that folks can vote, right? To the point of like people, we don't want to have the social side be like a huge component of it. Granted, the social side having that component also kind of does like grease the wheel, right? Like people can come to GFX and want to say, hey, we think this is a good idea. I'm like, that's a great idea. We should do that. Like that moves things along much faster than them just trying to do it themselves, but they shouldn't rely on us. So like that's the the key bit there. Like we want the social element, but it shouldn't be required. It's like that that just needs to exist as kind of like an, as an emergency in the event that like we stop existing for some reason. But when it comes out to like in the long run, like we have to reach a point where the number of folks participating in the DAO are actually the token holders. Like in the long run, like GFX being a prominent entity in protocol, whatever you want to call it, professional delegation, et cetera, doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like, it's not like I have tens of millions of dollars of uni token holdings or maker or any of these things. Like, so in the grand scheme of things, the person who has the ultimate incentive with the DAO aligned with the DAO is the one delegating to us. So really that's where we need to get to is where the funds in the space, the high net worth individuals, they feel comfortable. They feel like they can invest the time and money to make sense for them to participate in the DAOs. And I think that will be like the, the kind of, I don't say final evolution, but the next real big milestone that we reach when we see, yeah, like Paradigm does have a whole like governance team and Andreessen does have a whole governance team and such as like every single venture firm actually prioritizes this as a way to contribute to their protocols. But we're probably still a few years away from that. Yeah, definitely. Now, what do you think about one argument towards maybe the centralization of DAO governance where you will have just a handful of either funds or large voters who have been delegated, most of token holders votes who then basically control all decisions made in this space. Do you think that's an issue or what are your thoughts on maybe the democratization of voting? Yeah, I, I don't think it's ideal, but I don't know if I necessarily frame it as an issue either. I mean, it's the same way, like I own stock in some companies. I don't vote in any of them. Like it, it's just, it's not worth my time to go figure out like who to vote for with like my like $10,000 of shares and whatever, et cetera. Like they're going to be the folks who own one, five, 10% of the company and it makes a lot more sense to them to do it. And at the end of the day, like they should be ideally their incentives to improve the company or the sales 
same incentives for me as for me to improve the company. And they're just able to like warehouse those fixed costs of having, you know, three people full time think about how that company can be improved versus like little old me who I, I can't afford an investment team to go think about, you know, Apple or something, right? So I think like that's that's the same, it's the same vein right there to answer your question. Got it. And, and follow up on maybe on the other side, um, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about the community proposal factory that you have set up because I feel that that in one way democratizes the space a little bit. You're providing a platform for a person who does not yet have the voting power or the ability to put forward proposals. You're kind of giving them a platform to do that. So can you maybe open up a bit more on the thought process on what its purpose is? Yeah. So uh, that was kind of like a, a fun little project we put out and I think it was in February around East Denver. And the, the general idea there was to build upon Compound's proposal, autonomous proposals uh, that they put out years ago. And the gist was, is you want to make it easy for folks who don't have the full level of votes, right? At Uniswap, that's two and a half million unit compound. I think that's 10,000 comp right now or something. And like, th these are big numbers, like retail is not going to have that. But if you can have 100 uni, if you can have 100 comp, then like all of a sudden it becomes a lot more practical. And the idea is that you can make these miniature proposals that kind of go to a sub DAO and the sub DAO can vote to whether or not they want to support it with their two and a half million, which will then make it a full blown proposal. And so it was really about making that kind of entrant process to the DAO. Hey, I have an idea and I want to float it much easier than having to call up us or the foundation and get the full two and a half million off the bat. It was really, again, we want to eliminate any social requirements to participate in governance and make it as merit-based as possible. And it was it's really meant to do that because essentially just, yeah, it makes it makes it much easier for folks to propose things. That being said, went and built the whole thing. And then I was like, okay, we can use it at Uniswap. We could use it at Compound. And then you quickly realize again, every once in a while this happens to me like every six months. Hmm. Actually, the vast majority of DAOs in the space are all snapshot governance. And then I get sad. <laughs> so it's a nice little thing. Unfortunately, it's not being used really anywhere, but maybe someday soon we'll get it used in, in something. I hope so. I really like the idea behind it and what it kind of how it opens up the, the playing field i just got to get rid of the snapshot voting <laughs> that's the thing I, we did a, like a miniature vote it was a like a proper polling a part of the uniswap beach switch proposal we were like working through on the dow a couple months ago and i put up four snapshot polls separate ones to gauge like certain things like okay which network should we test out the fee switch on which b tier should we try out which token if we were to accrue a token to the treasury should accrue and we did four separate polls because i just wanted polling data and then everyone was like as soon as like one of the polls didn't like quote unquote like pass everyone was like oh uniswap voted to cancel like no fee switch it's never gonna happen folks this was like literally just a poll like i tried to use snapshot in the way in which it was designed to actually pull users for feedback like it's not a governance platform that's not its job is not to decide what the DAO does and doesn't do that's what on-chain governance is for that's a bit of a bummer because it's just like wow so so many folks are used to using snapshot um in the wrong way yeah yeah and i guess that what you said there just kind of speaks to the fact how the narrative tags on so quickly and changes someone's gonna be like, oh uniswap turned down the fee switch and that's gonna be the narrative and all of crypto twitter is all of a sudden making a huge mess about the whole topic right and another thing that i think folks kind of miss a lot of these larger governance proposals i mean even some of the smaller ones like changing a parameter quite a lot of effort goes into them I mean, my, my rough estimate for like any given uniswap proposal probably consumes like at least 100 hours of like the dao's time like the net note folks time which if you kind of like begin to back that out like okay like how much money goes into an individual proposal like if you to attribute how, like the cost to a governance proposal and we're talking about like tens of thousands of dollars at, at uniswap at least because it's just so many people have to come in and read it give feedback make sure that everything that 
the writers says that's supposed to happen will happen verify it like just actually quite a robust process folks don't realize i think on the net how much work goes into some of these proposals and how they might span literally months and months and months of private feedback and telegram groups and you know swapping google drive links of proposals until you finally get an iteration it's i mean i haven't done traditional politics but i kind of feel like this has to be pretty similar definitely is but yeah you're doing you're doing a good job and especially what you spoke about your role in uniswap's governance everything you tried out there and also how you contributed to the lowest fear tier with the stable coin swaps those are like pretty big things so sometimes there are even though politics can be uh, frustrating and slow sometimes there are like big successes that actually have a huge effect on the market yeah i mean like a compound if like anyone who's used compound for the last two years like the whole oracle system at compound was something that um, i developed hand in hand with the Chainlink folks after the prior oracle system experienced not an exploit but kind of an anomaly and that that took like literally seven months of like going back forth to the dow three iterations like oh so many people went through that one it was like a real headache but once it was implemented and done like everyone was super thankful to have it uh, an implementation that everyone felt great about and like today compound still has um, compound v2 that is still has one of the best oracle systems in the space so i mean it's by no means perfect but it was a strong improvement over the the prior one stuff like that just just takes time when you're changing these massive protocols in a, in a, in a big way like it, it should take time it shouldn't be a fast process yeah yeah it should there's so much value locked that you can't take any risks it, it needs to be slow and very considerate but uh, that is and i think one thing that has been very slow and much talked about has been the uniswap fee switch discussion where you have also been pretty active so maybe if we move on to speak a little bit about that sure should i give some just like quick context for for folks and like yes if you could start maybe with just like the context around it that would be amazing before we dive into your take and proposal yeah absolutely so the prominent uniswap protocol right now is the v3 protocol it's the one that introduced concentrated liquidity the prior one being uniswap v2 which was just the more traditional amm and then of course you have like v4 on the horizon coming sometime later this year the fee switch is called the fee switch because in in the v2 protocol there's literally like a essentially a boolean in that like if you change this thing like the whole dao just begins to accrue fees in the underlying tokens when folks swap. So if you go and swap in the protocol on V2 and the fee switch was like on, then whatever you swapped, a percentage of that would go towards the, the actual like pool in there for the DAO to like claim later and decide what they want to do with it in their treasury. Similar concept in V3, the only difference being it's not an actual fee switch. It's on a pool by pool basis, you set a fee parameter, but same concept. And then V4, there's like a, a slew of changes in there that kind of complicate this thought. But yeah, the fee switch and kind of just general fee debate at Uniswap has been ongoing for like greater than two years at this point, maybe maybe even like three. <laughs> it's been it's been a, been a long time at this point. And a number of folks have put forth different proposals or like debates on the topic and whatnot. I would say ours is probably the that we put out, I guess it was two months ago or so right now, um, was probably the most thought out one. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm biased on that front but we what i really wanted to do is i actually had that proposal we put out which was just at a high level for folks set a single fee tier across the entirety of a single network and see how it goes after you know three four months and if the dow likes it then we can push it forward part of that was set the fee tier on like the, you know, the top pools etc and then sell whatever the assets are that the dow is accruing in a completely trustless autonomous way for a designated treasury asset so like the dow I think was leaning towards like doing ETH or like USDC or DAI and then just accruing that in treasury and saying, okay, like we have this treasury, we can have a separate debate as to what we want to do with the treasury, but at least we'll allow having a, a treasury that we're getting to accrue. And we got a ton of traction on it. I mean, it was like, it was, it was quite popular on Twitter when we were being talked about, got a lot of support in the forums from prominent folks. 
even even Wintermew came out and said like this was a good idea. So I think unfortunately we're a bit short of the 40 million required kind of required votes to uh, to win. So like for for context on Uniswap governance, you have to have 40 million votes to like get past quorum. So I have like kind of like 30 million lined up right now. So if anyone listening has about 10 million votes and thinks it's a good idea, like call me up, we can probably get it across the finish line. But there are some folks who kind of don't think it's the right time still. So that's one of the reasons why we, we are short on votes is some of the more prominent in, uh, folks in the industry uh, feel differently about it. Yeah, I guess that's that's been the case. Uh, it's a timing issue. Most people say not not now, but what what is your argument to why is now? the right time well i think the general thought is is like you want to monetize the protocol when you or like monetize whatever your thing is when you have like a monopoly or have like sheer dominance right over the industry uniswap is entirely dominant i mean it does like somewhere between like 70 ish percent of total dex volumes it's not going to get much higher i mean like maybe we can get it to 80 but the thought that we can get it to like 90 is like impossible is certainly with like the fact that we like, you know, we're competing with like a new protocol every month that's doing their new token and like incentives program. And like, that's really, you know, inflating some of these other projects, whereas Uniswap has no incentives associated with it. It is purely natural. I, I think we are dominant. So it's like, if we're not, if folks don't consider us dominant now, then like, when would we be dominant? And uh, you know, some of the other common feedback from folks is like, what about like the whole legal implications of it? Now, of course, like I'm not a lawyer or anything. We've certainly done a fair amount of research on this own. I've talked with a lot of folks but you know the security side of it's really not the concern at this point uh, it's actually more so on like the tax liability side of things for some of the more prominent token holders being that oh like if the dow is accruing tens of millions of dollars of income like presumably someone has to pay taxes on this income how does that work this is a dow like where are where does one pay taxes? And so the Uniswap Foundation and some other folks have been doing research on that front. Unfortunately, the research hasn't really yielded anything that has been able to put to use yet, which has been a bit frustrating. And so I think in, in my mind, it's like, this is one of the unique instances where GFX can kind of naturally push the envelope a bit more than some of the others who are the prominent token holders and that we kind of more net represent the people, I would say, than, than, than the larger funds and that, hey, like folks want this thing turned on. They think it should be turned on. And like the problems of like how taxes should be managed is more of like, the larger funds problem than the token holders problem. And I think there are still elegant ways to solve that. Like if the DAO retains a huge amount of capital in the treasury, such that the IRS or someone whoever like can compel a delegate to come about and bring a proposal, hey, like a proposal that says like pay the IRS, then like if folks vote to pay the IRS, then we can like pay the IRS. Like it's not, I feel like maybe there's like maybe there's something suboptimal where there's like a fine or whatnot but i think there are solutions to this and it's kind of up to us and some of the other folks in the industry to like continue to like push that one that question forward i actually really like that again on the lines of the get shit done approach because someone needs to do it first someone needs to kind of set the stage but this is the misunderstanding uniswap is not the one to do it first everyone's like oh uniswap's special snowflake and i'm like look uniswap is great obviously we love it but MakerDAO and cruises huge huge revenues on an annual basis. I mean, tens of millions of dollars as well. Started off as an American foundation. Of course, you know, it's been working extremely hard to decentralize. The same thing with Compound. Compound's been increasing revenues ever since, you know, V2 launched. Ave as well. So like every major bar lend protocol has been doing this. And SushiSwap, right? I mean, foreign, but still like, I don't, I don't think Uniswap is necessarily the, the the snowflake in which a lot of folks believe it is, but maybe I'm wrong. And well said, and maybe to clarify my point on someone's got to be first is more more related to like legal clarity around where DAO should pay taxes and how they're, how kind of governments look at them. But yes, you're 100% right that in that case, I mean, there are most of the big players already active on this front. So why would Uniswap be any different? Exactly. And, and, and I mean, pragmatically, like it makes sense for someone to pay taxes, like all this income is being generated. And if it is going back to the token holders, then like 
the token holders should pay tax pay income taxes, right? If I if I accrue a dividend to my stock and my Apple shares, like I have to pay income taxes on that dividend. Makes sense. So I mean, I think we'll get there at some point. There's more work being done on this front. We're certainly still working in the background and trying to like figure out where we can find 10 million more votes, how the proposal can be adjusted to get people a little more on board with it, those who are on the fence. Uh, and we'll just see what happens. Yeah. And w- when you say that your proposal, even from a biased point of view, is like has been the most well thought out, what was lacking from the previous ones? Have they been like too complicated or is there something else? Execution mostly. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of folks prefer to talk about the theory in which like why the fee switch should be turned on or like which pools it should be turned on for. And I was like, what we need is we need a standardized system that implements the fee, manages the fee because like we have so many pools and one which actually once the, the fee is being accrued, transitions that fee into the treasury in like a single asset that the treasury wants to hold. And I think we just put some more thought and practicality into what we proposed for folks than the, the, the ones prior. And that's not really to like knock them. I think we've just truly thought a lot more about this than most people. Yeah, it comes down to execution always. So, I mean, I think that is the correct approach. Exciting things. Uniswap fee switch. I really hope that you can pull in an extra 10 million votes from summer. Well, now we have we have a whole new fee switch with, well, V4 has all their complicated new stuff, which we're, of course, very excited for in V4. And now UniX, which just came out, has a fee switch as well in it. And it also introduces an interface fee as well. So folks who are posting orders, or users' orders to, to UniX can actually decide whether or not they want to include an interface fee. So that way, like, you know, Uni Labs or an Oku and so you know, so forth can actually like earn some dollars from sending order flow to the protocol as well. And then the protocol is free to turn on a five bit fee whenever they want. These are good developments. We're finally starting to see more and more updates that make these look like models that can become sustainable businesses that take all stakeholders into account. Yeah, I mean, it, that, that's the interesting part. These things are going to look more and more look like traditional businesses, which I think as long as we continue to like make progress on the regulatory clarity front, then like that's a that's a good thing. Yeah, definitely. And if we move on from exchanges to kind of the on-chain borrow lend uh, market sector, which is your bread and butter, as you said, what would you say the state of that market sector is as of today? I would say that we're very beginning to see the, what the Fed has done uh, as far as like, you know, the United States um, here and in interest rates begin to kind of flow back into DeFi and like affect how stablecoin rates, particularly at MakerDAO, increasing the DSR. So this has been like a big thing for Rune over at MakerDAO. For folks who don't know, the DSR is the die savings rate. And it's almost like DeFi's version of like the Fed setting, like here is the rate in which you can get money, period. <laughs> it's like almost the, the exact same concept because it's just a number that's set by government governance and they decide it. And in this case, it's like heavily influenced by what the Fed's rate is. And that number is like three and a half percent right now. I mean, that's that's crazy. Like the thought that anyone can take any, well, die in this case, but you can convert your USDC into die easily with DSM and just earn three and a half percent. It's like huge. And we've kind of just begun to see that begin to affect the underlying borrow lend protocols and how and what stablecoin rates are across the space, um, which is super interesting to see. I mean, obviously DeFi is a bit weird in the sense of how it interacts with traditional markets, but now we're actually beginning to see that that kind of kick back in. As far as development goes and software side things go, what Aave continues to do is certainly impressive. I think there's some folks doing some more innovative things like at no finance I'll of course plug interest protocol but we're certainly tiny <laughs> um, and then we have like other things with like compound v3 trying to go like multi-chain there's talk of going over the linea and we have all these new l2s and everyone's trying to get the new bar lend protocols over to l2s some progress on cross-chain bar lend so there continues to be interesting things in that front that being said i don't know if anything would classify as like revolutionary but they're becoming more legitimized which is important yeah definitely and i feel like most of the updates and developments are coming to the over collateralized lending and that's becoming more 
inefficient. At the same time, when I think of the lending market, what comes to mind is that the bulk of credit in the world is from under collateralized lending. How do you think of that in terms of DeFi? Do you think it's always going to be over collateralized lending dominated? Or are you kind of hoping to see the breakthrough solution for someone to bring under collateralized lending on chain? You know, the under collateralized lending is just really tricky. I mean, back when I was at the trading firm, we were on the borrower side of, of a number of the more popular platforms. And I think from the borrower's point of view, it's just too good of a deal, essentially, which is kind of one of the reasons why they haven't really been able to work out over the long run. I do think they will be figured out, but it's going to look I mean, as far as like DeFi versus CFI, it's going to look a lot more like a, a, a CFI business that is integrated in a reasonable way on, on chain, but probably not going to really, really get to the point where these are like fully governed protocols. It's almost like we've, we've toyed a bit um, at the company of, hey, what would a bar lend protocol look like if you didn't have a token? And it was just like entirely managed by a team. And instead of having like a DAO that would regulate things, instead you would have like maybe like a 30 day time lock. So that way, like things can never really change quickly, but that way change could still be affected and managed. And that way users could always opt out. And I think that's like a really interesting way to like blend the two worlds of like CFI and DeFi. Imagine that's kind of what we'll see in the long run as far as like uncollateralized stuff goes is where you have these managed solutions that still offer like a lot of flexibility to their users. On the flip side, we have some more interesting things kind of like what the folks are doing in Gearbox and whatnot and other protocols that are talking about it where what if you what if you had like a, a managed solution in that hey like a single user puts up like a hundred thousand dollars of capital in like an instant app vault and like this money can only stay with inside this instant app account but you're allowed to do certain things with it and then folks can like underwrite you and give you like more money to invest with return a yield on so i think there's some other novel solutions coming around but it's it's just a very challenging problem got it and and you're kind of an on-chain maximalist in terms of governance how about in terms of if we look at the lending market and seamlessly combining DeFi and tradfi are you also on-chain maxi there or do you see these two things working in parallel no I, I think i think they're going to merge quite a bit i mean it, it's kind of like do we consider usdc to be like on chain that's the thing i, I think in the reality is is like for for DeFi and for these markets to mature for these protocols to mature we're going to get a lot more assets that resemble the likes of usdc right like or i think we've already begun to see some treasury products come on chain that are just immediately securities like they just like onto finance just like yes these these things are securities they do have rules with them etc and i think we're beginning to get more and more of those assets and that's like a good thing that's the nature we can't kind of always just have like fill in the blank governance token part five uh, as all the traded assets on on DeFi. we're gonna get some you know equities and commodities i think and they're gonna resemble the likes of a usdc and that's a good thing yeah definitely i wanted to ask what, what do you see as the biggest opportunities right now in the on-chain borrow lend sector yeah in my mind it's multi-chain borrow lend i don't think anyone's really done a great job at multi-chain borrow lend in that what i mean by that is hey like i have ethon mainnet and i want to borrow usdc on polygon zk evm and i'm at zk evm and i also have some i don't know matic over there and i want to make sure i can like use that matic to like borrow some die over at you know arbitrum whatever like fill in the blank i want to be able to have collateral in all these places i want to be able to borrow these places i think multi-chain bar land and the environment in which we have so many new L2s come out is going to be extremely interesting. I know a couple of folks already working on it. It's something that we're kind of in the litany of many things we want to do. Like it's certainly very high in the list. I don't know if we'll end up deciding it's it's worth the time or not, but that's something I'm very keen to see how it develops. Given everything we discussed and the tons of different projects that GFX Lab is working on and your protocol governance contributions, what's next for you guys? Uh, anything that you can share from your mid to long term roadmap? Yeah, I mean, I think Oku is really the big thing. I, I, I f foresee that really consuming 
doing already over the last kind of 10 months or so, that's been a huge focus. But now that was like mostly on the research and development of it. And frankly, what we kind of pitched to the foundation last summer versus what we put out here just like a week ago, it's great. I mean, it's so much better than we ever kind of thought, which is like so rare. Typically the thing you pitch, it comes out way worse. <laughs> and like, wow, this actually came out much better than we kind of ever imagined. So I think like Oku is extremely focused on the, the spot trading side of things being like right tokens for tokens. There's a lot of ways in which we can grow the product vertically. And there's a lot of ways we can grow it horizontally as well, right? So going into improving the wallet experience in the application, adding UniX support, adding V4 support and being one of the more premier interfaces for Uniswap V4, going back, supporting Uniswap V2. There's still tons of activity that's on Uniswap V2 and tons of traders who for the most part are really unappreciated for all the volume that they're putting through the protocol and really want a better user experience and have been mostly just neglected. And then we have like on the other sides of it is like Barland is a huge thing. I mean, outside of Uniswap, the second most used protocol is Aave. Barland's huge. And so I think in, in our mind, the long-term vision is to really get Oak to a place where it's like a one-stop shop for DeFi users. You have the best interface for spot trading. You have the best simple swap interface in the space. You're going to have ideally at some point, some type of on-off ramp wallet integration. At some point, you're going to have Barland in the application. That really to me is like, we want to be like the forefront on the consumer side of things for kind of the DeFi prosumer users. I don't think we'll get to the point of like straight retail in the sense that like Uniswap Labs is doing with their wallet or Coinbase is doing. But for folks who are already made it through the front door and want to dabble, we hope that we can kind of be the best, the best interface for them. So that's really going to be the focus over here for the next 6, 12, 18 months, I think is really just continue to push that. Because in my mind, like if we don't want to have a repeat of FTX, the best way to do that is to provide users with an alternative. Like FTX felt like a good product to folks. Binance feels like a good product to folks. The only reason Uniswap in my mind doesn't have more users is the user experience at Binance is tremendously better. Like at pre-Oku, like folks want a whole trading interface. They want that professional trading interface that Binance offers. Let's give it to them on chain where you have all the, the UX benefits without any of the downfalls that traditional finance offers. Yeah, that is much needed. And I feel like the market opportunity there is also massive. So that is worth focusing on on your side. And I got to say, uh, repeating myself, but the kind of get you done attitude and also under promise over deliver uh, that you did with Oku there. Uh, I love it. Um, we need more of that energy in this space. Thank you so much, Getty, for walking me through GFX, on-chain governance, and a bit of the on-chain borrow land market as well. We definitely need to do this again at some point in the future, but I really appreciate your time for sharing these insights. It was great. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been, it's been a lot of fun.